Blog Talk Radio. Hey, welcome everybody. This is Mindful Monday on Girl Power Half Hour, and I'm Annette Pingham. And Tasha Humphreys is here with me. Hey, Tasha. Hello, everyone. Happy Monday. Well, she's not exactly with me. She's on the phone with me, but we're not in the same room. <laughs> I will clarify that. That would be really cool if we were, but we're not. Well, this is Mindful Monday, and we have, um, we're going to talk about one of our favorite authors, and um, I have seen her give talks on television and videos, and um, just she's just an amazing woman. Her name is Pima Chodron, and that's C-H-O-D-R-O-N. And she is an American Buddhist nun. Um, she was one of the first American Buddhist nuns. Um, she was born in 1936 in New York City. She attended the University of California, and she started teaching elementary school in New Mexico and California. Um, she married pretty young. That marriage dissolved. And then she remarried. Um that husband had affairs on her. So, of course, that marriage ended. She was in a really, really dark place at that point in time, um, depressed. From my understanding, what she had said, you know, she didn't want to get out of bed. She, Her whole world had really collapsed around her, and she didn't know what to do. So she started looking at all different kinds of therapies and spiritual traditions to kind of pull herself up from what she was experiencing. And none of them really worked for her. Uh, So she went to, and I'm not, not sure even how she got to the French Alps, but she went to the French Alps in her 30s. And she encountered Lama Chimmy Rinpoche. And she requested that she study with him, and so she did. She studied with him for several years. She became a a novice nun, and she was ordained as a Buddhist nun in 1974 by the Dalai Lama. She now runs a a retreat center. uh, Really, it's an abbey, um, Gonfo Abbey in Nova Scotia, and I've looked at the website, and it's just amazing. And they do all kinds of classes. You can go there and make a commitment to stay there for a year. Um, you can even take your ordination there. You can do, you know, pretty much you can grow however you need to grow while you're there. Um, it's a great place. And she's just, she's funny. She has been through a lot. You know, you think about nuns any kind of nun, and you think, well, they've never been married, they've never been through a lot. Um, they just went in at very young. She did not. She was in her 30s when she started to experience uh, the Buddhist lifestyle and learn all the the teachings that helped pull her out of that really dark place that she was in. She's a writes constantly. She's got many, many books out, and Tasha and I today are going to be discussing some things out of one of her books. And Tasha, tell us which book that is. I'm going to talk about Taking the Leap. Um, 
actually, she has a few books that I highly recommend. One is When Things Fall Apart. Um, the one that has really stood out for me, Taking the Leap, is one that I used personally to get through a pretty difficult and trying event in my life. Um, and I I really highly recommend it to anyone for any reason, but certainly if you're going through a challenging time in your life, um, anything from financial stress to personal relationship stress, anything that's going on, this is a great book. Even if you're having difficulty at work, um, if there's if there's a chaotic situation at work or any kind of uh, dramatic circumstances that you're that are out of your control, obviously, um, this book is is great to help you get through situations like that. Um, I actually let me, pick... let me let me interject real quick. Okay. This is not necessarily a Buddhist a book on Buddhist teachings. It's right. on teachings that will help anyone from any sure. lifestyle, from any religion, spiritual path. These are just really concrete um, things that will help get you through whatever it is you're going through. So it's not necessarily a Buddhist book or about Buddhist teaching. It's for everybody. Right, and that's exactly right, and thank you for clarifying that. In fact, my personal counselor, again, I, you know, I bring that up all the time, but she recommended this book to me, and that's how I got hooked into this particular author. Um, and, you know, she's not a... Uh, a religious counselor of any kind. She and she let me know that this was a uh, a book for, you know fit for anyone, uh, regardless of faith or lack thereof. It's a it's a great book simply for the spirit. So um, I chose a few. Oh, I just chose the first two chapters really because they actually address what the book really represents right away. And and let me let me add that this is a a short book. It's an easy read. You don't really want to put it down because it really is so stress-relieving. And I don't know if you're like me, but anything I can find that relaxes me, relieves stress, helps me get through something challenging, I want to hold on to it. So I've been through a few copies of this because uh, I've allowed someone else to read it, uh, a couple of different people, and it's never returned home because it's that great. So um, let me just read. The first chapter is entitled Feeding the Right Wolf. Um, the introduction, and I'll just read it to that first chapter, I'm, uh, and then I'll, I'll read some other passages that, that go with that particular title. As human beings, we have the potential to disentangle ourselves from old habits and the potential to love and care about each other. We have the capacity to wake up and live consciously, but you may have noticed we also have a strong inclination to stay asleep. It's as if we are always at a crossroads continuously choosing which way to go. Moment by moment, we can choose to go toward further clarity and happiness or toward confusion and pain. Now, I'm sure that some of you have heard the quote that I'm about to read, but that right there, that little intro I just read, is an applicable life statement that really comes from this particular quote, which I'm sure if you haven't seen it on Facebook somewhere, you've heard it before, um, it's a story that was circulated, I guess, right after September 11, 2001, when when 9/11 occurred, and it's circulated ever since because I've seen it even quite recently. But this is a description of it that she puts in her book. 
a Native American grandfather was speaking to his grandson about violence and cruelty in the world and how it comes about. He said it was as if two wolves were fighting in his heart. One wolf was vengeful and angry, and the other wolf was understanding and kind. The young man asked his grandfather which wolf would win the fight in his heart, and the grandfather answered, the one that wins will be the one I choose to feed. And I want to talk about that quote a little bit, because that's exactly what we're discussing when you talk about mindfulness, which is what Mondays are about for us. Um, When you stay in a present moment and you sit with feelings and you don't react to them, you you sit there, you feel them, you can be observant, but you don't really do anything with them. You just stay present in that moment not reacting in a fear-based way toward anything that might happen in the future and not reacting with regret toward anything that may have happened in the past, but just staying in the present, then you would be choosing to feed the understanding and kind wolf. If you react, then if you're reacting from the past, it's going to be vengeful or angry. Anything in the future is fear-based as well and tends to come out the same So I've heard this a lot, I've read it a lot, but it was really a time that I was going through a difficult challenge that I was able to apply it. I've always had a difficult time with this particular way of thinking, and Annette, you know this, I've discussed it with you before. Right, Um, right. I I don't believe that people should just pretend they're not angry and go on through life and just be positive and put a big smile on their face and paint everything in rainbows. That's not the way that I believe I do believe that people have a right to feel anger. I believe that anger is a gift. I believe that anger protects us and it alerts us to something being wrong. However, in circumstances that are out of our control and situations that we really can't fix or do anything about um, other than walk away from those circumstances or situations, in the midst of them, or let's say, for instance, a crisis. If a crisis occurs, they happen all the time, it's part of life, when they occur, There's nothing that you can do except sit in that moment and face what's happening and feel it. You can't run from it, but people do. They run from it, either physically run away from the situation. They avoid it by fighting and causing situations that will take away from the present moment, or they avoid it with drugs or alcohol, substances like we've spoken about in the past. And in this particular situation, it's not that you can't have those feelings. In fact being in the present moment encourages you to have those feelings and simply observe them and not react to them. In this situation, it's the same thing. And I had a difficult time, you know, with those feelings. Um, I had a difficult time not not understanding that she, initially when I read this, that she wasn't saying don't have those feelings. And that, I believe that you and I discussed it, correct? I went over it with you, we asking did. you we numerous did. times. We, yeah. yeah, we even had this discussion on the radio uh, on another yeah. program where yeah. it was like, okay, but we should be able to have those feelings. And yes, that's not what she's saying. She's saying when you have them, have them, sit with them, don't judge them, don't run away from them, but just take them in, and it's uh, some of the other people that I really admire as far as the mindfulness training goes is Thich Nhat Hanh, and he talks about making friends with these emotions, and 
you think, oh, my gosh, making friends with anger, making friends with sadness. When you sit with an emotion and you sit with it without judgment and without reaction to it, you can actually feel it soften. The anger becomes less harsh and less sharp, and the sadness becomes less intense. And you can just really sit with it, and it begins to take that hard edge off of it. And you can actually say, you know what, I appreciate you, anger, showing me what you're showing me, or I appreciate sadness, you showing me what I need to know. And that's making friends with it. That's what we mean when we say make friends with it. It's not saying, oh, yeah, I want to be sad all the time or I want to be angry all the time so I can sit with it and have lots of friends. No, that's not what we mean. We mean just to sit with it and and do it without judgment and do it without reaction and do it with appreciation. Right, and I think the important note there is Emotions are fleeting, so it's much like, you know, if you go through a bad breakup and you have this extreme despair or pain initially, and initially that that pain is so deep at times, you know, depending, again, this is a bad breakup, so I'm assuming this is someone you would care about. If you're going through this initially, it's you don't want to go through it. I mean, it's the scariest thing to really have to face that kind of pain. It's something we've all been through, and... Nobody wants to go through that because it's not the kind of pain you can take Advil and just, you know, forget it's not there. I mean, it's gonna, you're going to feel it. And uh, that's typically when people do take some form of substance or something that will numb them, not just physically but emotionally. However, with this particular uh, school of thought, you know, you're saying to sit with it and just learn to be friends with it. And honestly, the re- the reason that those things tend to lessen is because emotions are fleeting. That doesn't mean that you're not going to feel it, that you're not going to feel it intensely, but it will pass. And that quote, this too shall pass, is the truth. It will. It will pass, and it it will get better. It will get easier. It, It will become less intense. That doesn't mean that it won't come back as intensely at some point because there is an ebb and flow to all all things in life and certainly our emotions. But I think the the difficult time I had with it was, you know, I've I've earned my stripes and I, I have a right to be angry about things that happened that caused me to be angry and I want to express that. Well again, she's not saying don't express it. She's not saying don't express it. Um she's basically saying that she wants you to sit with it she wants you to stay in that present moment, to feel it, but not hurt yourself or someone else in reaction to it. And if you are going to address it, by the time you address it, because you've sat with it, if you still feel that you need to get some closure or you need to um, release that energy, you can but you will do it in a way that is less damaging for yourself because it will be a healthy, productive, forward-moving way. And when you speak to someone, it will be in I statements and it will be from a calm, peaceful place rather than from an angry, irrational place, which never gets any good results for you or the other person. 
and you always walk away with regret from a situation like that. Well, I think in that first chapter she talks about pausing and being mindful in the moment Mm -hmm. before you say anything or before you do anything. And um, one thing that, uh, you know, when the phone rings, and this this is something that we can practice to become better at all the time, and it's little things like this that help us in the bigger moments to be more mindful. But when the phone rings, instead of rushing to pick it up right away, take a deep breath before you answer, Mm -hmm. you know, before you do anything, before you get in the car. Take a deep breath or two before you open the car, before you turn it on. Um, It's just being mindful of that present moment that we can then move it into, okay, this person may be really angry, but before I respond, I'm going to breathe. (laughs) I'm going to take some deep breaths, and I'm going to wait before I say anything, and use your intuition, is now a good time, or do I need to wait later to say Mm -hmm. something? Because maybe I'm not understanding what I need to say yet. Right. And this this actually this first chapter is it, it is exactly that, you know, and, and it it also is about making that commitment. In fact, I'm just going to read you where the exact, you know, the explanation of the title comes from. She says, "Taking the leap involves making a commitment to ourselves and to the earth itself, making a commitment to let go of old grudges, to not avoid people and situations and emotions that make us feel uneasy." to not cling to our fears, our closed-mindedness, our hard-heartedness, or our hesitation. In other words, she doesn't want you to run from those situations, doesn't want you, because, it, you know, in fact, when we react irrationally when we're angry or we're hurt, and that is the same kind of avoidance tactic, because we're really not trying to uh, sit with the emotion or the feeling we're trying to get it out and get it over with, you know, just get this out so I don't have to sit with it. I don't want to deal with it, so I just want to get it out of me. Now, that's not not to say that you don't have a right to express your emotion. Again, I don't want that to come across the wrong way because I definitely believe that you do. You have a right to feel and you certainly have a right to express what you're feeling. Um, but if you're doing it in a way that is irrational and non-productive, in other words, if it's destructive, it's not going to help. It's only going to make it worse. And this is about learning how to deal with things, really deal with things and cope with things and face reality, feelings, thoughts, your experiences without having to run, without having to react, without having to do something to get away from the experience of just sitting with the emotions. Um the second chapter, Learning to Stay, and, and Annette, I know you have talked about this so many times, um, I, and I want you to discuss this. I'm just going to read this really quickly because this is something you and I have discussed on past shows, and I know that this is something that you've worked with quite often. Um, she says, the primary focus of this path of choosing wisely, of this training to de-escalate aggression, is learning to stay present. Pausing very briefly, frequently throughout the day is an almost effortless way to to do this. For just a few seconds, we can be right here, 
Meditation is another way to train in learning to stay, or as one student, student put it more accurately, learning to come back, to return to being present over and over again. The truth is anyone who's ever tried meditation learns really quickly that we are almost never fully present. That's so very true, right, Annette? I mean, that's Absolutely. just we, we never really are. Yeah. When when you mention the word meditation, mm-hmm. people automatically think, oh, you have to empty your mind completely. Well, you right. know, I don't know of anybody. The Dalai Lama can't even empty his mind completely, and he admits exactly. That. Yeah. Um. So what what happens in meditation? It isn't about emptying your mind and getting rid of all those thoughts. It's mm-hmm. about staying present in the moment while those thoughts or are moving through. Mm-hmm. And the teaching is that our minds are monkeys. The monkey right. mind, you know, it's all mm-hmm. over the place. If you've ever watched, you know, Animal Planet or even at the zoo, all these little monkeys and they're just swinging all over the place and they're, you know, they're crazy. Yeah. That's the way the mind is. And what happens with meditation is you've got those things moving through, but that gives you the opportunity to say, oh, there's my grocery list. Mm-hmm. I've got to go to the store after this. Okay, mm-hmm. breathing in, you know, breathing out. You come back to that present moment of breathing. Right. You, you have a focus. And then another thought comes in. And it's all about allowing those thoughts to come through without adding to them. So that it's fleeting little clouds of thoughts and not big trains, you know, right. long trains going through our mind. So it's, right. meditation is not hard. I wish people, you know, would understand that. It is not hard. There are guided meditations. There are uh, there's mindfulness meditation, which is what I practice, which is simply focusing on my breath and mm-hmm. um, allowing the thoughts to come and go, and mm-hmm. being sometimes amused at what comes and goes. You know, right? Why did I think of that? Some of my best ideas have come. In meditation. So these thoughts are coming and that's okay. But it gives you the opportunity to practice coming back to the moment and to sit there regardless of how many thoughts are there. To stay right. seated, you know, while these thoughts are going around. And and well, in and doing that you know, in doing that what happens is it gets easier and easier and easier as you do it. Right, and that's what she says that um, what she noticed about people that were, you know, completely awake in that process was that they're they're fully conscious of whatever's happening. She says their minds don't go off anywhere. They just stay right here with chaos, with silence, with a carnival. In an emergency room on a mountainside, they're completely receptive and open to what's happening. And so that's the process, right? You know, it's, it does not matter what it is that's going around, rather than panicking, you know, regardless of what's going on around you, rather than panicking, freaking out, reacting, getting angry, and reacting to that anger, you're feeling the anger, but you're sitting with it. You're feeling the fear, but you're sitting with it. You're feeling the, 
you know, the confusion, but you're sitting with it. You're feeling the pain, but you're sitting with it, and you're just sitting in that and experiencing it and allowing the experience to happen without reacting and in, allowing a, in a situation. Right, and, exactly. You know, that's, that's the huge thing, allowing it to soften so that you can work through it. Right. And, so and you know, it, we, go ahead. I was just going to say, you know, the, the thing that's interesting is that when we learn to sit with our pain, like our, our, and when I say pain, I mean any sort of struggle, whether that be anger, you know, whether it's uh, some sort of challenge that we're going through. I'm not necessarily saying that you're in personal pain, but if you're in any sort of struggle, that is a painful experience. And if and when we learn to sit with our pain, I notice that we're much more capable of sitting the pain, sitting with the pain of others. In fact, if you don't, if you'll ever think about a time when you're having a difficult time with something, and, and I'm talking to the listeners here, if you're having a difficult time with something and try to express that, there are certain friends that can hear that and they can hear it gently and they can hear it without trying to fix it and they can hear it without trying to give you critical advice, they can just sit with you with your pain. And then there are those who either get very uncomfortable and they don't want to discuss it and they change the subject, or they make light of it, perhaps making a joke, or they give you some sort of critical advice which kind of tries to fix it but actually hurts and steers you more in a direction of confusion. Those people, I believe, that have that reaction to your pain have not learned to sit with their own. And that's what makes them so uncomfortable is because when they realize that you're in pain and you start expressing it, then you're bringing up their pain, obviously, unintentionally. But because they have not yet learned to sit with their own, they don't want to sit with yours either. Well, and I have a, a, an example of that because I had a friend uh, when I lived in Arizona whose 14-year-old daughter was in a car wreck Um. She was, of course, airlifted to the hospital. My friend called me. We we were neighbors. And I sat with her at the hospital. She had lots of friends, uh, but she called me. Why, I'm not sure, but she did. And I went and sat with her at the hospital. Her daughter was basically brain dead, and they were going to have to turn off the machine. And she had all these friends come by and they would say things that were just so hurtful mm-hmm. to my friend. Things like, well, this is this is the will of God. You know, this is, it was just meant to be. You know, it may have been, who knows, we don't know, but you don't say right. that to somebody in that much pain. Of course. And when all that was, you know, all that was over with, I asked her, and she would get very upset with people, and then when she would get upset, of course, they would leave because it made them uncomfortable. The whole situation Mm -hmm. made them uncomfortable. I asked her later, I said, why did you want me there? And she said, because I knew you wouldn't say anything. You would just be there. Yeah. And I thought, wow. You know, that's powerful. She just needed somebody to be there. 
And when yeah. we're going through these tough times, we need those people just to be there. Right. And we need so to definitely. be there for the other people, mm-hmm. even if it's uncomfortable. And, right. And, you know, we talked about, Annette, you said when we were discussing self-care and self-love, and, you know, you said if you can't love yourself, then you can't love someone else. Well, it's the same thing here. If you can't be there for yourself and sit there with yourself and be supportive in that moment for yourself, you're never going to be able to do it for anyone else. And you will be one of those people who says something that really does hurt a person who is in pain. You know, any one of us that has lost someone that has sat in a situation where people are either attending the funeral or they're coming over, you know, before or after with food, and you hear them say something, and you... In the moment, of course, you're just hurt or angered by it, maybe even annoyed, whatever. It depends on what the situation is and who you've lost. But it's afterwards and later in life, once that grief process has at least become to the acceptance part, where you realize they just really did not know what to say, so they just filled the silence. They just filled the silence with something, which is the worst thing they can do because it's just that uncomfortable silence. It's that uncomfortable silence that we need, and that's, it's okay to be uncomfortable. And so many people are not aware of that, that, that it's okay to be uncomfortable, that we need to be uncomfortable, that it's important for us to get out of our comfort zones and that when we're uncomfortable, the last thing we need to do is speak because whatever's going to come out of our mouth is probably going to be offensive on some level because we're really just trying to scratch our way out of an uncomfortable situation. It's best just to sit with it and let it be. And our foot goes in our mouth. <laughs> I know. I know. You know, this has been, I love Pima's books, and I really encourage everybody to get on Amazon and look them up and, and explore what she's got to do. And go to our Facebook page later on this evening, and we will let you know what we're going to be talking about on Topic Tuesday, which is tomorrow. So see you then.